Thanks for listening to the Community Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Pastor Dan Strutz here. Our desire is to connect people with Christ and community. For more info or to contact us, please visit cbcmountainlake.com. Good morning to you all, and welcome back after a week away, a week of us once again because of the lovely weather. Um, it's good to have uh, Rich here. Um, Rich is sharing about the Gideons, and I, I just have to say that one of the reasons that I, I, I'm, I'm glad he's here is because the Gideons have a fond memory in my heart, and not because they, you know, I, I was saved or, or through a Gideon Bible, but probably more out of confession, I have to say, from the fact that as a child I probably somehow hoarded a bunch of small testaments in my collection. So I feel like I need to give about a $10 to $15 donation at least to make up for those ones that I had as a child stowed away in my, in my possession as an, as an elementary kid. There's a reason for me to say that, and I will get to that in just a moment. It's really cool to hear what the Gideons are doing and what the Bible going out to people uh, how it's powerful and, and using to change people's lives. That story of the scriptures going out is something that we need to hear again and again about how great this book that we have on our shelves is and in our hands and in our smartphones. How we need to be reminded that this book is one that gives us hope and peace in a world where we hear news stories of shootings and planes crashing and just even more close to home broken relationships in our own life. We need to hear that there is something about this book that is powerful, because there are people like me who, as elementary kids, we store them up, and we have numerous copies on our shelf, and we get so familiar with the Bible that we kind of forget that this is God's Word. And as we have access to God's words, we sometimes forget that through this book we have access to God's word to us. And that's a really powerful thing to be reminded of. The thing that we need to be reminded of so that we go to it and feed off of it. That we know what the purpose of this book is to give us confidence and hope in this life. And, and I mention these things because that is, I believe, why Luke wrote his gospel. And that's where we're going to go in our next series. We're going to go to the Gospel of Luke so you can start to pull out your Bibles and open up to the Gospel of Luke according to Luke. And we're going to go there in just a moment. Uh, we're going to study through this Gospel, which uh, I, I deem, the, or I kind of see that the main idea of it is Luke wants to present to us these ideas of things that, as it says on the screen, have been accomplished among us. And he includes himself, us, in that, those words that we'll hear this morning, which is interesting because he never, to our understanding, never witnessed Jesus. He's getting these stories all secondhand, but yet he includes that these things are accomplished among us. And we want to sit there and say, how is this, these stories, how is God still accomplishing stuff in our lives through these events of Jesus as we're going to read about in just a moment? Some of you might be asking, why Luke? I, I, I don't have a, a super great answer other than the fact that 
one of the things that we want to do in reading through scriptures and reading through the Bible is to go get a good steady diet of different types of, of books. And, and we spent a lot of time going through Isaiah, you know, back over the past months. And, and we, we looked forward in Isaiah to what God would do. And then Jesus comes. And now Luke's gospel really speaks of what God, ha- God has done through, uh, through Jesus coming, dying, rising and going to reign with the Father. So it's a compliment to say not just what God was looking to do, but what he has done now, and we're getting a good dose of back and forth. And we haven't been in a gospel since I got here back uh, over three years ago when we studied the book of Mark. So I wanted to go back to a gospel and just look at these accounts uh, of Jesus and his life. Um, and as we go into Luke this morning... I want to, you to consider, if you were to go into, into Barnes & Noble or into, you could go on Amazon and search up, you know that there's millions and millions of books there. Uh, the question might be asked, why should I read this book? Or, or how do I know if this book is worth my time? How do I know that, that, it's, that I, I should pick it up and read it and, and digest it? And, and is it going to be a benefit to me? They say you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge it maybe by its back cover, I think. You can flip it over and look at the synopsis of what the publisher and the author says. This book is is aimed at doing this, this, and this. Or you can read the introduction and see what his hope is to accomplish through the book. In, In some ways, this message this morning is Luke's synopsis, his opening introduction to his stories about Jesus that he's going to give us uh, a purpose statement for why he has written this book and why it is worth our time to read. He's going to give us four verses, one sentence, and it's going to be his introduction to the story. So here we have an introduction, an intro to an orderly account, Luke's first uh, words on a page. And as we were just singing, I was just thinking again and thinking about this guy named Luke and starting to pen these words, these wonderful words, gospel words, inspired by the Spirit. And in my mind, I just was thankful that Luke put pen to page that we can look at this account. So will you join me as we pray and ask God to, the same God that, that inspired Luke to write, that the same God that I believe His Spirit works in, in, in speaking this word, and, and the same Spirit that I pray opens our hearts to listen to His word. So, Let's go before him and just ask that he would work as we listen to his word. Father God, thank you so much that we can gather in this place as your people. That we can open up this book that is thousands of years old again. And as I've said before, we can be just floored by the idea that this this book has purpose for our life today. That as it goes out through groups like the Gideons, and we see that, and it has power to transform lives, may we be reminded right here in this moment that this book has power to transform our lives and give us hope in the midst of a crazy world. Lord, I ask that you give me words to speak, that you settle my heart and just uh, walk through these notes that you've laid on my mind and my heart to present, and then may you be the one that speaks. May we be people who listen and want our uh, the soil of our hearts to be ready to receive the seed of your word so that it bears fruit in its time. 
Father, we are our thankful people. And this word that Luke has written to us, let us listen. Be excited that you are doing stuff ever since Luke wrote it, ever since Jesus came. We look forward to when you come again and be fruitful. Amen. Luke 1, 1 through 4, it reads like this. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed these things, all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Luke's opening line. In fact, it's an opening sentence. It's one long sentence, well-crafted, and, and, and many would say that it's, it's one of the finest New Testament uh, Greek lines of it, the way he's constructed it. But honestly, in my English language, and in my, in, as I read it, it's a long sentence, but it also kind of seems like an uninteresting sentence, doesn't it? If we're honest with ourselves, you're like, there's not really anything super memorable in there. I mean, compared to the other Gospels, we know that there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you think about the introductions to the other four Gospels. John's Gospel, we, many of us know it, and you're going to know it in your mind when I start to say that, that John starts off with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it's this big, bold statement that speaks about God, and, and, and then it moves towards Jesus and how he was the Word. And it speaks of this theological idea that Jesus is part of the Trinity. He's been there since for all eternity. It's a really big, important sentence to us as Christians. Mark's Gospel, he starts out with the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Not as theologically rich, but he does start off with this is good news about Jesus, who happens to be God's son. A really important sentence. In Matthew's gospel, it's maybe not as exciting in the beginning because he starts off with the genealogy, but he starts off the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew's gospel starts off with these ideas that the guy we're going to talk about, Jesus, he's a really important dude that comes from the line of Abraham and David. Those are important Old Testament guys, and Matthew jumps right in to say that who we're talking about is a really important guy, and we should perk our ears up and, and put our radar up for this guy that we're going to talk to. But Luke's line, his sentence, isn't like that. It's not as theologically rich, is it? He doesn't start, and if you look into the text, he doesn't mention God. He doesn't mention Jesus. It's not a very flashy sentence. And I'm guessing that none of you have had Luke 1, 1 through 4 as a scripture memory verse to say, I need that one to fight through life and the trials that come. I'm guessing that this was not one of your, this is not your life verse. It's easy to pass over rather quickly. It may not be super interesting, but I think Luke is super intentional here on what he's trying to help us with, what he's trying to introduce his book with. And it, it helps us to learn a few things about the book, and it helps us to learn a few things about Luke. And, and for the moment, before I get into looking at some principles that we can draw out of this about what he's trying to communicate us, I want to just pause and, and consider the author Luke for a moment. 
Luke wasn't one of the disciples. He wasn't one of the twelve. He wasn't Peter, James, or John. Uh, in, in fact, he, he, he probably never met Jesus. We don't know, but he probably never had an account like Paul did where Jesus showed up to Paul and, and interacted him and called him out for, for how he was going against the church. We don't really know much background about Luke. We don't know his testimony or where he was from. We know he was probably Gentile. He wasn't Jewish. His name, Luke, is a Gentile name. And, and we can guess from his book that he's aiming it at the Gentile people, that it's a gospel for all people everywhere, not just the Jews. While he doesn't write his own name in his book, we do get Luke's name twice in the New Testament. And from that, we can glean a couple things about Luke. Paul mentions Luke twice. First in the book of Colossians, Colossians 4. In a real brief closing statement, he says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. So we learn Luke is with Paul. He was a traveling companion of Paul. And he says that his profession was a physician. He was some kind of doctor. Some speculate that he may have even been the doctor of Paul as he was imprisoned and and going through different trials and hardships. Luke was there to care for him. Here in this word it says, Luke and Demas, they're greeting the church at Colossae. But then in another verse, 2 Timothy 4, 10 and 11, Luke again mentions Demas and Luke. He says, Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted and gone to Thessalonica. As Demas, this other guy, he, he, he said, I've had enough with this, these beatings. I've had enough with proclaiming your gospel. I'm going to go after the things of the world. And he deserted Paul. But then it goes on to say, Luke alone is with me. And here in what would we probably guess is one of Paul's last texts, his, his, his last book before he, he went to be with the Lord, one of his closing lines is, Luke alone is with me. This author of this gospel we're going to search through, he was a faithful companion of Paul. And more importantly, he was a faithful follower of this gospel that Paul was proclaiming. He didn't give it up for the world. So while there's a lot that's unknown about Luke, there there are a couple things we can find out about him. And, And we learn as we start to search the scriptures that this was a real guy who put pen to paper and and wrote these things down as part of his life work. Gospel of Luke. The book itself is a book that was probably written about 30 years after Jesus was was alive. It was written in the early 60s, most people would say. And this book, it it speaks of uh, of eyewitnesses of Jesus. And and we can guess that that what was going on was some of these eyewitnesses, the people that saw Jesus' miracles and his teachings, they were starting to die off and and also the gospel is going out to all these different places. People were dispersing and, and the gospel is growing. And so Luke is writing these things down for us. It's the longest gospel. It's the one that accounts for the most stories. And so in it, we can just think a couple things about this text, this gospel. It, it has a lot that's very similar with Mark's gospel and Matthew's gospel. And in fact, many scholars would say that Mark's gospel probably came first, and then Luke got a copy of that, and he started writing things down within his own gospel from Mark. He was basically copying Mark and putting those things in. And those are a lot of the stories that we get. But what's fascinating about Luke and what we're going to do in this journey through Luke is that there's a lot of other extra things that we wouldn't have if it wasn't for Luke. A lot of important things. 
fact, Luke, led by the Spirit, decided to put pen to paper for the first two chapters of Luke. The, the first two chapters, chapters 1 and 2, they aren't found anywhere else. Uh, they're, they're just in Luke. And that's important because without Luke's first two chapters, we'd basically have no Christmas story. And with it, we'd have no Christmas hymns, no Christmas carols. We wouldn't have sheep, we wouldn't have shepherds, we wouldn't have angels, we wouldn't have a manger, we wouldn't have Mary interacting with the angels, we wouldn't have any of that without Luke's gospel. Later on, we wouldn't have uh, the story of Zacchaeus, and my childhood would be ruined because the story about Zeke Zacchaeus, that wee little man, the wee, wee little man that he was he, I would never have sang that song because we wouldn't have that story. My life would be changed. in Luke's gospel. We also, if we've had a moment in our life where we've said, well, I went for the time, I became a prodigal, and I went off to the things of the world, we wouldn't even know what prodigal meant if it wasn't for Luke's gospel. He's the one that accounts for us that story uh, about the prodigal son. We wouldn't have the interactions with the criminals on the cross where Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. And we wouldn't have the story of the road to Emmaus where Jesus points back and says how he is the fulfillment of all the things from the Old Testament. All those things are included in this gospel. The other thing that I find fascinating, and just to kind of get our bearings straight with the gospel of Luke, is that Luke's gospel is really part A of a two-part series. Luke's gospel is part one, and the book of Acts, his sequel, is part two. That's important because they connect together both by Luke, both written for the church to communicate something. The first part, Luke's gospel, is Jesus' life that leads all the way into the cross at Jerusalem. It's a story of Jesus looking towards Jerusalem. And then from Acts, it's the story going out from Jerusalem from the church. It's a two-part series. And Luke wrote it for the church to be uh, encouraged about what Jesus has done and what, what the church is doing as that message is going out in the book of Acts. Those two books, Luke and Acts, some of you may think that Paul was the greatest, was the one that wrote most of the New Testament. In fact, Luke actually wrote more of the New Testament than Paul did by sheer numbers. Luke was a faithful guy who just listened to the Spirit. He wanted to write these things down, and we can be grateful for him as we read his book throughout this series. But it's not just that he wrote it like it was his diary entries that he penned down and said, oh, I heard a story about Jesus, I'm going to write that down. And it, it, it actually is, he's compiled this story to write to someone, and we see that name in verse 3, Theophilus. It's the guy who Luke and Acts are both addressed to, Theophilus, and we'll talk about him just for a moment. Again, a, a guy that's not, not much is known about him. There's a lot of debate about his name. His, his name means lover of God. Theo, the idea of God, which is where we get our word theology. Uh, phileo, uh, Theophilus, which is phileo, or love. So it's God, lover, or loved by God is his name. And so there's a little bit about a debate about, is this just randomly an idea of anyone that loves God, that it's addressed to them? Or is he saying, is this a particular guy that loves God and was seeking him? Luke adds that word in there, most excellent, and we can assume that because that's kind of a regal, royal title, that Theophilus was a specific guy that he was writing to. He isn't just writing these down and hoping that maybe someone will find it. He's writing it to a specific guy 
who's in a time and a place and probably has a high status in the world at that time. Most excellent Theophilus, the question that we can ask there is, who is this guy? And while we don't know, I'm, I'm guessing that because it says, you have been taught some of these things, Theophilus, that Luke is writing to a guy that has heard some things about the gospel of Jesus. He's at least familiar with them. This is not a gospel for non-Christians necessarily who have never heard anything. This is written first to people who have heard something, and it's written to encourage them because we can guess that Theophilus was like you and I in the fact that he was probably asking, I've heard some stories about Jesus. Can I really believe that they're true? You and I ask that all the time. We probably don't want to admit it in church, but... There are stories that we read, and in our hearts, we sit there and say, can I believe that Jesus really walked on water? Can I really believe that he healed the blind? Can I really believe that he rose from the dead? And Luke is saying, yes, 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 you can, Theophilus, and to us today. So we've looked at Luke, we've looked at his book, we've looked at who it's written to. And I would just say that as we get into some of these stories, we're going to forget about these things and that it was written to someone uh, for a purpose. And so it's important for us to just see Luke's opening sentence here and and see that he has a purpose of writing these stories. And it's not just at random. He's purposeful in what he is doing and saying. And so what can we see in the Gospel of Luke? I think there's four things that we can pull out of this, this opening section this morning for brief ideas or brief things that we can see Luke's gospel is importantly passing on to us. And the first is that this is an account that has been passed down and reliable. Luke's account of his of the gospel of Jesus is an account that is passed down and reliable, meaning that others have passed down these words and these stories about Jesus. And he says that in verse 1. Look with me there. He says, as much, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. He's saying that many have undertaken the desire to pass on the stories about Jesus and pass them down in the generations, which is important because Luke was probably a second or third generation Christian. He wasn't there in the beginning. And so he's saying, many people have started to pass these stories down. They've attempted to to pass out the stories, and even some of them have begun to write them down on paper so that they're trustable, that they're reliable. Of the things that have been accomplished among us, the things that Jesus had done. So who are these people? He says they're eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. Uh, We can guess that the eyewitnesses were people, at least from... Uh, Luke's gospel account are people like Mary. In these first couple chapters, these next weeks, we're going to get really intimate details about interaction of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and, and her child. And we don't know how Luke necessarily got the story, but we get that Mary was passing on the stories about those intimate moments with her newborn baby. Maybe they got, he got an account from the shepherds who were told about the, the moment that that angel showed up and they wanted to tell others about, about God's interaction with them and how they want to see that baby. We 
could maybe say that there were eyewitnesses, the poor people that Jesus met with, the, the, the people that, that Jesus healed, or even the people uh, that were there at the, the feeding of the thousands. Could have been a whole host of people that, that Luke has gotten his data from to put it down in here. But he says these are eyewitnesses. They saw with their eyes what Jesus did and what he taught. He also says the ministers of the word, which kind of implies the apostles, guys like Peter. And, and this data is coming from reliable guys that walked intimately with Jesus over three years before Jesus went to be with the Father. They're reporting what he did, what he taught. And so these people are passing down these stories, and Luke is saying that this story of Jesus is something to be passed down, that it's something that, that should be uh, studied and looked at and then passed on to others. Luke says, I've studied them closely. I've been a careful historian. For some time past, he spent much of his life gathering these stories together and now passing them out to others. And for this last 2,000 years or so, we've benefited from this, right? For the last 2,000 years, this book has been passed on to generation to generation. It hasn't been hoarded, it's been passed on. And for us this morning, we can take that principle to say that this is a, a story that is passed on and it's to be passed down and it's reliable and trustworthy because of the people it comes from. And so it's a principle to say that it's not just to be hidden in our heart, which is what we want to do, but it's to be passed on to others around us for encouragement. And that's why we preach it. That's why we want to study it. That's why we want to read it and we want to digest it and learn it so that we can pass it on to others. Passed down and reliable, and we can trust it as we get into these stories about Jesus. We can trust that they are true, and not only that they're true, but that they're orderly and purposeful. That Luke's account is one that has order to it and it has purpose in the story as he's putting it together. He says in verse 1 that many have undertaken to compile a narrative, or another word for that is a story. A good story is one that starts off in the beginning and you get to familiar with the characters and then from there conflict comes and it, and it progresses along uh, a path until you get uh, a main big conflict as it keeps it rising and then you get resolution and resolve and a new uh, happy ending. The story of Luke is of that way, that it's, it's a story that will journey with Jesus, and it's going to rise as Jesus keeps on looking towards Jerusalem, as he's looking towards the cross, and, and he knows that that's where the main conflict is. And Luke has set these stories in order for us to see that and to see where he's going in this story. It's not just an anthology where he's collected a bunch of different stories about Jesus and he's just kind of put them together. It's composed with a structure not necessarily chronological. In some places it might not be. But he says it, he, he, he says it seemed good to me to put in order the things and, and, and put the forward as the Spirit has informed him about what Jesus has done and, and his story. He's going to start off by talking about Jesus' humble beginnings. And throughout the story, he's going to talk about Jesus' interaction with those who are poor and those who are broken and those who, who, who Jesus came for. He's going to speak about that gospel and how it's for all people. The genealogy is going to go back to Adam, the first man, and, and look and say, this gospel is for everyone. He's going to have purpose in how he structures those things to come out. He's going to again speak of Jesus and how he went towards Jerusalem. Ten chapters at least is a journey to Jerusalem where Jesus is doing things, but at the same time his eye is set on the cross. 
He's ordered his account, Luke has, also to speak about the, com- the king and the kingdom coming in and also the spirit's role in all that. Luke is doing more than just putting down a timeline. He, he's doing more than just taking a, a bucket of paint and, and throwing it against a canvas and saying, I, I just, it is what it is. No, he's a very particular Renaissance-type painter who's painting details and, and wanting to bring out themes that we will see throughout this. He has purpose in his book. Which leads us to this next point that we can see, that his purpose is really to give an account of what God has accomplished. His big idea is to tell us what God has done. Look at verse 1. It says, Many have have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. Or if you're reading from the New, New International Version, the NIV, you see the word fulfilled. Accomplished or fulfilled. And And we can pause to say that that's a little bit of a peculiar word for a historian. It's it's weird because if you were a historian, you would probably actually use the words uh, happened or occurred, events that occurred back then. If you were a newspaper writer and you were writing about the events of last weekend, you would say it snowed and it was icy and so Communion Bible had to cancel church. You would say that happened back then. You wouldn't say that it was fulfilled. Or accomplished. So Luke's intent here right from the beginning is to speak of what has been accomplished. What God has done. I want to show you a little bit what he's talking about. Go flip over your Bibles to Luke 24 at the very end. I mentioned that we turn to the road to Emmaus, that story that is famous and it kind of lands the plane in Luke's gospel. Luke 24 Again, he's talking in the beginning about the things that have been accomplished, and here he lands the plane with this story. Chapter 24, verse 13, after the resurrection of Jesus, he says this, That very day, two of them, two of the disciples, two disciples that followed Jesus, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus drew, drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, that would be Jesus. He says, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened? there in these days? He said to him, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, the man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we hope that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb earlier in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back, saying that he had even, they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of them were with us and went to the tomb and found it as the women had said, but they did not see him. He said to them, O oh, foolish ones, slow to heart to believe all the prophets 
spoken? Was it not necessary that the chief Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them, all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And then it goes on to say, So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he, Jesus, went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave thanks. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from sight. They said to each other, did our hearts not burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened us to us the scriptures? And they go on to celebrate this. They go back to the disciples and they celebrate what they have seen. Jesus meets with them. This goes all the way to the end of Luke's Gospel. He starts off with what's happened and what's been accomplished. And he talks, gives this story about these guys walking down a road and how they just thought that these were events that happened that would be found in, in the Jerusalem Daily News the next day. And they're saying, no, no, no. We thought he was this, but he's not. But Jesus said, no, this is all part of the plan. From Moses to the prophets, all of the Old Testament has led up to this event of Jesus coming to go and to die and to rise, to suffer for his people, to take on their sins, to bring new life, and to connect people back to God through his work. Really, this story is what mankind has desired from the beginning of time, ever since sin entered the world, back with Adam in the garden, the person whose Luke goes, the genealogy goes all the way back to him. Luke is saying that all the way since then, people have wanted to get back into relationship with God. Probably including Theophilus, the guy he's writing to, the lover of God, or the one who is loved by God. Theophilus has been looking, we can assume, for these answers, for, for how do I get back to God? Why, how do I find God, and how can I be certain that Jesus is the one? And Luke is writing him a letter that says, the guy I'm talking about, the guy I'm reflecting is the guy, he's the answer. And we see that reflected in the road to Emmaus. He said, these aren't just things that have happened. There was a plan to these events. There was a purpose behind these events. And, and when Jesus shows up after the road to Emmaus, he meets with the disciples, and his first word is, peace to you. This story is about the way that we find peace with God through Christ. Even if Luke was an original observer of these things, which we guess he wasn't, and even if Theophilus had never met Jesus in the flesh, Luke is saying that there are things that have been accomplished, and then he adds, among us. They'd never seen. they never interacted with Jesus. And yet, he says, these things 30 years later, and now even 2,000 years later, are still being accomplished. That God, through these works, is bringing peace and bringing hope through the life of Jesus and what he did. And we could say that for us today as well, as we dive into this book, as we read this book, as we study this book, that the teachings, the healings, the works of the cross, the resurrection, all of it, is something that Luke wants to say, that God is working and accomplishing things among us through these stories as they're passed down. Final thing that Luke puts into his gospel is that this account is aimed to produce certainty for his listeners. Look at verse 4 of chapter 1 again. 
says, this is for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty, certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Again, Theophilus was aware of some of these stories, but we can see in that that he was not certain of them. He says that you, Theophilus, may have certainty, that you may know truth. Theophilus probably had doubts. Just like you and me, we've never seen Jesus with our own eyes. We didn't touch his hands and his feet. And so he's only been taught things. He's heard them uh, passed down. And and Luke is feeling that certainty can come by reading this book. Not that it might come, but that God will work as we listen to his word and that we will have certainty produced in us. That if there's doubts that they'll dissipate over time. And I want to be cautious to say that it may not happen immediately. It may not happen right away, like, like you read this once and, okay, all the doubts are gone. But that over time, as we read and study and dive in and listen to this word as it being not just something penned by Luke, not just words on a page, but God's word speaking to us, as we hear the Christmas story for the thousandth time, Luke says the certainty about the story is going to come. It's not because Luke thinks highly of himself, but he is convinced that his words are empowered by the Spirit who is working through him, who is putting these these words on a page. So that's why we study this book. Because it will produce certainty in us as we listen, as we dive in, as we digest, as we live and, and meditate on this word. I think for readers of this book, for listeners, for hearing, uh, the Gospel of Luke will produce certainty by the power of the Spirit who's still working through it. They're empowered words that for us today, in a world where we lack certainty on some days, God gives us this book as a tool for faith, as a tool to know. In a moment, we're going to sing, Draw Me Close to You. We're going to sing a song that says, Bring me in, God. And, and I think that this is, is important, that it's not just bring me to you, but we can even now say, draw me close to this word. Draw me close through this word to you, God, as I study and I hear. Because for us today, we know there will be doubts this week. We know that there will be uncertainties, but we can say, God, thank you for revealing yourself so that I can know who you are, what you are. Luke is passing this word down to us as he's ordered it for us, as he wants to tell about what God has accomplished, and as he wants to produce certainty in us, may we humbly say, thank you, Lord, for this word. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word revealed through the hand of you're a faithful disciple of you who you worked in his life to gather these stories and put them down. We thank you even more that there were stories to tell. That the stories of you, Jesus, coming as a child, as, a, as an infant, as a, as a babe in a manger, and you grew up to be a man who, who taught and did and followed you, God, that was God ultimately came to rescue the world 
came to fulfill the plan which was to redeem and restore the brokenness, the sin that we ourselves have created. Lord, as we we dive into this word, a word that we trust is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, we, we trust, Lord, that you will work on us and produce in us certainty of who you are and that you are still working in this world. You are still accomplishing much among us. Lord, I pray against the enemy who as we go out from here will try to speak lies and doubts to us. That when our world is shaken, we will wonder if we can really trust that you're still there. trust in you as we look to your word on the accounts of you, Jesus, who is the Lord. We thank you and we praise you this morning.